chapter 28. series through the book of Genesis. This is message number 29 in the series, entitled, The Wandering Son. We'll be looking at Genesis chapter number 28, start out our reading with verses 1 to 5. And Isaac called Jacob, and blessed him, and charged him, and said unto him, Thou shalt not take a wife of the daughters of Canaan. Arise, go to Padanaram to the house of Bethuel, thy mother's father, and take thee a wife from thence of the daughters of Laban, thy mother's brother. And God Almighty bless thee, and make thee fruitful, and multiply thee, that thou mayest be a multitude of people, and give thee the blessing of Abraham to thee, and to thy seed with thee, that thou mayest inherit the land wherein thou art a stranger, which God gave unto Abraham. And Isaac sent away Jacob, and he went to Padanaram unto Laban, son of Bethuel, the Syrian, the brother of Rebekah, Jacob's and Esau's mother. In chapter 27, Isaac and Rebekah and Esau and Jacob uh, each acted in their own interests concerning the inheritance of Abraham through Isaac to the chosen son. Now, before Jacob and Esau were born, the Lord spoke the prophecy concerning them to Rebekah in chapter 25 and verse number 23, uh, told her that each would be a, the father of a nation, and obviously both of those nations could not be the seed nation that was promised to Abraham all the way back in chapter 12 and verse number 2. In other words, there was going to have to be a difference between them, and the Lord indicated in that prophecy that uh, the, his choice was of the younger son, uh, Jacob. He would be the chosen nation and therefore the inheritor of the covenant promises and the blessings of Abraham. So this situation between Jacob and Esau was similar to the situation between Isaac and Ishmael, who was Abraham's firstborn son. And God made clear um, to Abraham that Isaac and not Ishmael was the chosen seed to inherit and perpetuate God's covenant with Abraham. That's in chapter 21 and verse number 12. And so Ishmael was sent away, um, just as Abraham's later sons with Keturah were sent away as well. Now Isaac and Esau sought to work around the inheritance of Jacob, and Rebekah and Jacob sought to gain that inheritance by trickery, um, and that was uh, the inheritance that was Jacob's by God's word. Well, in the end, in chapter 27, Isaac acknowledged that the Lord's word could not be undone. And his blessing of Esau further confirmed the blessing of Jacob as the chosen seed. And this is why the writer of Hebrews wrote that by faith Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning things to come. In Hebrews chapter 11 and verse number 20. Now, though the situation with Jacob and Esau resembled the situation with Isaac and Ishmael, in this case, Jacob is the one that ends up being sent away, and we get that toward the end of chapter 27. So this theme of conflict uh, is continued, uh, and then the exile of Jacob from the land of promise poses an obstacle to the fulfillment of the covenant. So in chapter 28, 
Jacob is exiled from the land of promise, and he is sent back to Abraham's ancestral land and kindred. Now, after the death of Abraham, when Isaac was on his way to Egypt because of a famine in the land, the Lord appeared to him, warning him not to leave the land of promise, and also affirming his covenant with him. That's in chapter 26, verses 1 to 5. But here, Jacob sets out from Canaan to go to Rebekah's family, creating a tension in the account concerning what will become of the promises to Abraham and Isaac. Well, any question of Jacob's being the chosen seed and the heir of the covenant is answered with a double confirmation in this chapter. Isaac confirms the inheritance of Abraham's blessing to Jacob, and then later the Lord appears to Jacob to confirm those promises to him as well. So as we look at this chapter, we have um, two main sections in this chapter. In verses 1 to 9, where Jacob is sent away and um, Esau's story is, is sort of wrapped up there. Uh, in, ch- in verses 10 to 22, we get Jacob after he has set out um, from the land and when the Lord comes to him in his dream. So we're going to start with the first part here uh, where Jacob is sent away. Let's look at verses 1 and 2. And Isaac called Jacob and blessed him and charged him and said unto him, Thou shalt not take a wife of the daughters of Canaan. Arise, go to Podnarum, to the house of Bethuel, thy mother's father, and take thee a wife from thence of the daughters of Laban, thy mother's brother. Now, as far as we can tell, Isaac was unaware of Esau's plot to kill Jacob. And so as we read um, through, this, through this narrative, uh, the way that Moses presents this to us, I believe that that is the, the correct assumption, that Isaac did not know of Esau's plot to kill Jacob. He certainly had to be aware of the relationship strains between Jacob and Esau. And Isaac is here acting uh, from the words of Rebekah to him. Send Jacob for a wife. Um, send him to her family in Haran. Don't let him marry any of these um, daughters of the Canaanites. Now, the readers know that behind it, behind this sending away of Jacob, is that Jacob has to leave the land of Canaan for fear of his life because of Esau's anger toward him. So Jacob has this errand of getting a wife from his uncle Laban's daughters, but also he is fleeing for his life. And so being in fear of his life resembles both Abraham and Isaac who were in fear for their lives, and that was when they lied about um, their wives. Now, Jacob's fear, though, is more than just a potential fear. So as Abraham and Isaac uh, would come into a, a strange land, uh, and they, they feared that, that if it, they were known that these were their wives, that they might be killed for them. So they had a certain fear for their life, but it was a, a potential fear. It was a, it was a possible fear. Fear, But the fear that Jacob is fleeing from is actually a very real fear because Esau has taken a vow um, to kill him. So, uh, of course, once that Isaac has died, and uh, they have no way of knowing how long that that will be. Let's look at verses 3 to 5. And God Almighty bless thee, and make thee fruitful, and multiply thee, that thou mayest be a multitude of people, and give thee the blessing of Abraham to thee, and to thy seed with thee, that thou mayest inherit the land wherein thou art a stranger, which God gave unto Abraham. 
And Isaac sent away Jacob, and he went to Podnarm unto Laban, son of Bethuel the Syrian, the brother of Rebekah, Jacob's and Esau's mother. So as Isaac continues speaking here in, in these verses 3 and 4, he is confirming to Jacob the blessings of Abraham. This is, this is the real inheritance. This is the true inheritance, the blessings of Abraham being conferred now as they had been from Abraham to Isaac, now being conferred from Isaac to Jacob. So in other words, as we read these verses, we, you, you realize there's, there's no trickery, there's, there's no deceit, and there's, there's no games being played here. Isaac is just fully acknowledging these blessings of Abraham to Jacob as God's chosen heir. Now Isaac speaks of three particular blessings that are promised to Abraham. These three central, crucial blessings of God's covenant with Abraham. The first is the blessing of prospering Jacob. God will bless thee. Uh, as God spoke to Abraham, he said that he would bless him and that he would make him great and we'd make his name great. And this includes the prosperity that Abraham enjoyed. Isaac also enjoyed great prosperity. And Jacob, likewise, is going to enjoy great prosperity because of the blessing of God. So he will be made great just as Abraham and Isaac was made. The second was the promise of a multiplied seed. Now the word that, that is used here for uh, a multitude of people at the end of verse number three, the word for people there doesn't just mean uh, the plural of, of person. Uh, the word for people there means a tribe or a nation and sometimes is translated um, that way. In other words, it looks beyond just the immediate family of Jacob, it looks beyond that to the nation that would come from him in the fulfillment of God's promises that he made to Abraham. And we've noticed how, as we have moved forward in this account, how that um, promise has been clarified and it's sort of been narrowed down. And, And now we come to Jacob and of him, now is going to come this multitude, this multitudinous nation that God began promising to Abraham. And then the third promise is the promise of the inheritance of the land. Now the word for inherit is a word that means to take possession of, and it, and it can have the normal sort of meaning of inheritance, that there's a transfer of ownership um, to, to the one that is the heir. Now, it can have that. It can also, in some usage, the word can indi- indicate seizing of the possession, and it's the seizing of a rightful possession, but in, in some way there's some sort of a, a usurper that must be displaced or whatever the case may be so that the possession is seized for the rightful owner, such as, as might be um, in the conduct of warfare. Now here, it it will certainly have that dimension to it um, later in Israel's history, but here, the inheritance of the land is is that possession of the land that's given by God through promise to Abraham and Isaac to Jacob and his seed nation that we know as the nation of Israel. And the land that is promised is the particular land that was promised to Israel. Abraham. Now, Jacob is clearly distinguished here before he sets out 
He's clearly distinguished as the heir. He is the one that is inheriting the covenant. He is, he is the chosen one that this covenant is being perpetuated with and this nation is being made from. Not the nations from Ishmael, not the nations from Esau, not anything but the one nation from Jacob, the nation of Israel. So as we have seen, there are other nations that will be blessed through Abraham. And and obviously this new nation that comes from him. But those other nations are not inheritors of the land promised to Abraham and his nation. And that is clearly distinguished in this confirmation of the covenant with Jacob. Now the last part of this first section of the chapter is verses 6 to 9. When Esau saw that Isaac had blessed Jacob and sent him away to Padnarm to take him a wife from thence, and that as he blessed him, he gave him a charge, saying, Now shalt not take a wife of the daughters of Canaan, and that Jacob obeyed his father and his mother and was gone to Padnarm. And Esau, seeing that the daughters of Canaan pleased not Isaac his father, then went Esau unto Ishmael and took unto the wives which he had, Mahalath, the daughter of Ishmael, Abraham's son, the sister of Nabioth, to be his wife. So Esau's part in, in this account, for the most part, is concluded here. He will have uh, sort of a, a minimal presence a little while later when, when Jacob finally returns to the land. But, but as far as, as his um, real impact on this account, his, his part is wrapped up here, and we're going to follow Jacob um, in the account. Moses emphasized here the displeasure of Isaac and Rebekah with the daughters of Canaan. And so we're told that Esau takes another wife and he marries the daughter of Ishmael, of Isaac's half-brother. And we're left to um, only presume that um, Esau did this as, as some way, perhaps of finding favor and, and perhaps of gaining um, whatever blessing and whatever there was there um, to gain from his father. So now as we go to the second part of this chapter... In verses 10 to 22, this is where Jacob has left from, uh, is leaving from the land of Canaan. He has left from his, his home and family um, and where God appears to him in a dream. So let's start with verses 10 and 11. And Jacob went out from Be'er Sheba and went toward Haran. And he lighted upon a certain place and tarried there all night because the sun was set. And he took up the stones of that place and put them for his pillows and lay down in that place to sleep. Now, we are not given any particulars of Jacob's journey. In fact, he's going to arrive at his, after this, he'll arrive at his destination uh, in the very next chapter. So we're not given the, the details of his journey. We are given um, a, a description of this particular stop and this night that he spent here. The place that he came to was near to the city of Luz, um, later that is called Bethel. Um, this is somewhere around about 50 miles um, north of Beersheba that um, he had left from. We're told that it was the evening time, and so Jacob settled in for the night. Uh, he slept, obviously, out in the open, uh, took some stones and arranged them in, in some way for uh, a pillow for his head. And now this is preparing us for what is to come. Let's look at verses 12 to 15. And he dreamed. And behold, a ladder set up on the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. 
And behold, the angels of God ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham thy father and the God of Isaac. The land whereon thou liest, to thee will I give it and to thy seed. And thy seed shall be as the dust of the earth, and thou shalt spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in thee and in thy seed shall all the families of the earth be blessed. And behold, I am with thee, and I will keep thee in all places whither thou goest, and will bring thee again into this land, for I will not leave thee until I have done that which I have spoken to thee of. So the Lord appears to Jacob in a dream that night. We're told that the Lord appeared. He's standing at the top of this stairway. This is another um, pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus Christ. But this is the first appearance to Jacob. Now, this is the second time in Genesis that God speaks in a dream. In chapter 15, the Lord appeared to Abraham in a vision where he was in a trance-like state. He wasn't in a normal um, state of sleep. But here Jacob is in a normal state of sleep, and the Lord speaks to him in this dream. So 10 out of the 21 total times in the Bible that God speaks through a dream, 10 of those are in Genesis, just barely misses being half of all of those instances. In Genesis and before there was any written revelation. So God is here communicating revelation to Jacob through a dream. Now, whenever God communicated, regardless of the means he used, and the writer of Hebrews spoke of various and sundry ways that God used to communicate prior to the coming of Jesus Christ and the the completion of that revelation. Whenever God communicated, regardless of the means, it was always revelation. Now, the dream itself, as we look at it, is straightforward. It, It involves direct speech. In other words, this dream is not symbolic. It's not in need of interpretation like the dreams of Pharaoh that Joseph interpreted that we will get to later. It is, it is a dream that's, that the Lord simply appears and he speaks to Jacob in direct speech. So the word that is used here for ladder, says there's a ladder set up between the earth and the heaven, the word itself, as I understand it, is, is more indicative of a stairway, of, of, of steps that were going up than what we would think of as a ladder that we might use to climb up um, on a roof or something like that. And the angels of God that are mentioned, well, these are the spirit beings who, who are the servants of God, um, also called holy angels or elect angels in other places in the Bible as well. These are the holy messengers of God that carry out God's will, and they carry out God's will in heaven and on earth, whatever it is that he has that he sends them to. Now, we're told that Yahweh appeared, and we have Lord in all caps there appearing at the top of these stairs. Yahweh appeared in in a form at the top of the stairway. Again, this is another uh, appearance of Jesus Christ in a pre-incarnate form. Now the purpose of this dream, so what was the purpose of this dream to Jacob? Well, the purpose of this dream was to reveal to Jacob the Lord of heaven and earth, the God of Abraham and Isaac, and to reveal to Jacob to confirm 
the covenant promises to Abraham with him. So when we look at the words that are spoken to Abraham, I mean to Jacob in this dream, we get again these confirmation of the promises to Abraham, beginning with the promise of the land. This land, and he says, the land that you are lying on. Jacob is laying there asleep on the open ground. Uh, He had nowhere else to be. The land that you are lying on, he says, that he will give it to him and to his seed after him. The land that was also described as the land that Abraham walked through at the direction of God. The land of Canaan that is described in Genesis chapter 12, verses 6 to 7, chapter 13, verses 12 to 17, chapter 15 and verse 7, uh, and chapter 15, verses 18 to 21, chapter 17 and verse 8, chapter 24 and verse 7, and chapter 26, verses 2 and 4. In other words, this, the same land, all the way that began to be promised to Abraham, is, is the land that's being promised to Jacob and to his nation after him. This land is given to Jacob and to his seed, that people that will come from him. His seed will become a great nation. They will be multiplied as the dust of the earth. And through the nation from Jacob, it is confirmed to Jacob that all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Of course, we first heard that promise um, that began with Abraham back in chapter 12 and verse number 3 and then repeated in chapter 18 and verse 18 and chapter 22 and verse 18 and chapter 26 and verse number 4. We've seen these, these promises continually repeated that God is going to fulfill and to keep. And then the Lord speaks to Jacob and in verse 15 as he finishes this, he gives five particular promises to Jacob. He says, I am with you, I will keep you in all places, I will bring you again into this land, I will not leave you, and I will do all that I have spoken to you. Those five promises the Lord speaks to Jacob as he's on his way out of the land of promise for fear of his life. So Jacob, though he is about to leave this land, something that Isaac never did, and in fact was told not to do. He's about to leave this land of promise, but he learns here that God is not restricted. God is not confined to that particular piece of land. He assures Jacob that he will be with him, and he'll be with him always, wherever he is. Not just in this place of Bethel, where he has come to him in this dream. Jacob is told that he will return to the land. Yes, you're leaving the land now for fear of your, of your life. You're leaving this land to go and, and, and to get a wife, all of these things, but you will return to this land. And he will do so by God's promise and by God's will. So the effect is to highlight that God's grace... And God's sovereignty, not Jacob's goodness, not Jacob's cleverness, not the fact that he's able to to finagle and and, and to work things out to his advantage so that he ends up being the holder of the birthright. No, God's grace and God's sovereignty will cause all of these things to be fulfilled toward Jacob. 
And another way of putting that would be that Jacob's lack of righteousness did not nullify God's promises. Then we see the rest of the chapter, which is Jacob's response, verses 16 to 22. And Jacob awaked out of his sleep, and he said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I knew it not. And he was afraid and said, How dreadful is this place! This is none other but the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. And Jacob rose up early in the morning and took the stone that he had put for his pillows and set it up for a pillar and poured oil upon the top of it. And he called the name of that place Bethel, but that name of that city was called Luz at the first. And Jacob vowed a vow, saying, If God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go and will give me bread to eat and raiment to put on, so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then shall the Lord be my God. And this stone which I have set for a pillar shall be God's house. And uh, of all that thou shalt give me, I will surely give the tenth unto thee. So Jacob now responds to this dream, to the words of the Lord that came to him in this dream. We're told that he feared the Lord. Um, he, he set up a memorial for the Lord, these this stones that he piled up and anointed with, with oil to consecrate um, this memorial to the Lord. And he vows to serve the Lord and to tithe all of the prosperity that God would give to him. So what do we make of this chapter and, and, and what do we learn from a chapter such as this? Well, obviously, this is one of those well-known, familiar passages in the Bible where Jacob has this dream and, and you, you know, Jacob's ladder and he sees all of that. And, and people oftentimes will come to a passage like this and, oh, well, there's a dream here, so um, everything requires some sort of symbolic interpretation. So um, the ladder means this or that and the stones that he piles up means this or that and the oil means this or that that he, that he pours on there. But what we know from the Bible is that this dream is not symbolic in any way. This dream does not require any sort of allegorical or symbolic interpretation. And we know that, for one, because the text in this passage doesn't treat it that way. It doesn't give us any symbolic interpretation or any idea. Secondly, when you read it, Jacob interpreted the dream literally. He interpreted the words of the Lord as making specific promises just as the Lord stated to him. In fact, they were echoing promises that he had made to Abraham, that he'd made to Isaac, and then these special promises to Jacob because he's about ready to leave the land. And, And that's exactly what Jacob responds to at the last part of this chapter. And then thirdly, we know that it is, it's not a symbolic sort of dream in any way. It's because there are two references to this event outside of the book of Genesis. And both of those references treat this event as straightforward, just as Jacob does, and doesn't treat it as symbolically. So I want to consider those two references to this event outside of the book of Genesis and discern from it what the message is for Israel and and even for us today. So the first external reference to this event is actually in the book of Hosea, Hosea chapter 12, verses 2 to 6, which reads, The Lord hath also a controversy with Judah, and will punish Jacob according to his ways. According to his doings will he recompense him. 
He took his brother by the heel in the womb, and by his strength he had power with God. Yea, he had power over the angel and prevailed. He wept and made supplication unto him. He found him in Bethel, and there he spake with us. Even the Lord God of hosts, the Lord is his memorial. Therefore turn now to thy God, keep mercy and judgment, and wait on thy God continually. Now that's uh, just a portion of this chapter 12, the latter part of the book of Hosea. Now, Hosea, obviously, in that passage, doesn't only refer to this event at Bethel, but it is, it is referenced there. He refers to the fact that Jacob encountered God. He encountered the God of Abraham and Isaac in Bethel and set up a memorial to him. Hosea refers to it as a literal encounter and literal words that were spoken to Jacob that also had something for the people of Judah and of Israel. So the beginning of the book of Hosea depicts Israel as God's unfaithful wife, and that's usually the part of Hosea we're most familiar with, Hosea and Gomer and and their um, marriage and such. And so Israel is depicted through this as God's unfaithful wife. But when you look at the latter part of Hosea, when you look at the end of it, chapters 11 to 14, There, Israel is depicted as an unfaithful son, as a wayward son. So a wayward wife in the beginning of Hosea and as a wayward son in the end of Hosea. And throughout these chapters, these ending chapters, Hosea argues that Israel is God's son and that he has cared for his son, he has raised him as a son, and he will not forsake his son even though he is a wayward son. So Hosea refers then to the life of Jacob there in chapter 12, right in the midst of that ending section. He refers to the life of Jacob, and he's highlighting Jacob's shortcomings. But he's also emphasizing that still yet God appeared to him at Bethel. God confirmed his commitment to him through his fathers Abraham and Isaac. Now, Judah and Ephraim in, in, the, in the book of Hosea, they're, they're children of Jacob. And God's call to them is to return, and he will have mercy on them just as he had on Jacob himself. So Hosea refers to this event, this dream in, in Bethel where Jacob encountered God. He refers to it as a literal happening and as a happening that revealed God's sovereignty and confirmed his choice of Jacob and the extension of his covenant mercy to him. So read how Hosea ends this prophecy and these words to Israel in Hosea chapter 14. O Israel, return unto the Lord thy God, for thou hast fallen by thine iniquity. Take with you words and turn to the Lord. Say unto him, take away all iniquity and receive us graciously. So will we render the calves of our lips. Asher shall not save us. We will not ride upon horses. Neither will we say any more to the work of our hands. Ye are our gods. For in thee the fatherless find mercy. God says, I will heal their backsliding. I will love them freely. For mine anger is turned away from him. I will be as the dew unto Israel. He shall grow as the lily and cast forth his roots as Lebanon. His branches shall spread and his beauty shall be as the olive tree and his smell as Lebanon. 
They that dwell under his shadow shall return. They shall receive, or revive as the corn and grow as the vine. The scent thereof shall be as the wine of Lebanon. Ephraim shall say, what have I to do any more with idols? I've heard him and observed him. I'm like a green fir tree. From me is thy fruit found. Who is wise and he shall understand these things, prudent and he shall know them. For the ways of the Lord are right and the just shall walk in them, but the transgressors shall fall therein. In other words, if they do not return to the Lord, they will face his judgment. But the message to Israel is that the God of Jacob is the same God that extends covenant mercy to you. Return to him is the message. Well, the second external reference to this event is actually in the Gospel of John. And it's in the Gospel of John when Jesus was calling his disciples in chapter number 1. So in, God, in John chapter 1, verses 45 to 51, John wrote, Philip findeth Nathanael, and saith unto him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and the prophets did write, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said unto him, Can there any good thing come out of Nazareth? Philip saith unto him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming to him, and saith of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom is no guile. Nathanael saith unto him, Whence knowest thou me? Jesus answered and said unto him, Before that Philip called thee, when thou wast under the fig tree, I saw thee. Nathanael answered and saith unto him, Rabbi, thou art the Son of God, thou art the King of Israel. Jesus answered and said unto him, Because I said unto thee, I saw thee under the fig tree, believest thou? Thou shalt seek greater things than these. And he saith unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Hereafter ye shall see heaven open, and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. Well, the, to start with, the reference to guile is a subtle reference to Jacob. Uh, guile is not really a word that we uh, use a lot today in, in modern English, but it, it means um, to be crafty, um, to be deceitful. Um, to be um, dishonest in, in, in dealings and, and that sort of thing. And so this reference to guile is obviously a subtle reference to Jacob, even as the name Jacob indicates. And he's, he's using this reference toward Nathaniel for speaking honestly concerning Nazareth as the way that he responded to the, uh, the word of Philip about Jesus of Nazareth. And verse 51 of John chapter 1 refers to Jacob's dream and that stairway to heaven. And the point that is being made there is that Jesus is the revelation of God from heaven to earth. And God will fulfill all the promises that he made to Abraham through him, through Jesus Christ, his son. So Jesus is not a dream. He's a person. And he's a person from heaven. He is God from heaven. So the message is that God will not forsake his own whom he has chosen and he will keep all of his promises. In other words, to those of Israel, they are to know that they belong to the Lord and his covenant mercy extends as it did to Jacob, as it did to Abraham, as it did to Isaac. And these promises are to them and to their seed. And even down to 
us today. Well, we, we don't have any inheritance. You're not a physical descendant of Abraham. You don't have any promise of the land in um, Israel, but you do have many other promises through Abraham. As he said, he would bless all of the nations through Abraham, and he would do so through faith. So what is the message? The message is God will never leave those that are his. Those that are his will never be forsaken. He will pursue them. He will bring them. He will ultimately fulfill all the word that he has spoken concerning them. All of those who trust in him. All those who repent of their sins, who put their faith in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, belong to God through his covenant and will never be forsaken and never be left alone.